Thank you for listening to the podcast of Palmetto Baptist Church. We pray that as you listen to the following message, that it will encourage you to continue to connect, grow, and serve in your relationship with God and with others. 1 Kings chapter 18, the title of this message is When the Fire Falls. When the fire falls. We're talking about the fire of God's presence. We're talking about the fire that is revival that occurs when God falls, when God comes down, and when He envelops a group of people. Real revival is, it is the visible moving of God among a certain group of people in a specific place for an indefinite period of time, changing the lives of those people. There are two things that are so very important in that definition for revival. One is that it is the moving of God. You and I cannot manufacture it. We cannot manipulate it. We cannot produce it. We cannot use fancy enough words to make it happen. It is the work of God. So if we experience revival during this season of revival that we've set aside, then it will be the movement, the visible movement of God. Now God moves all the time and God is present everywhere we are. He is everywhere present, but there are special times when God's movement and his presence are visible to us. We may not see him moving across here like a vapor or a cloud, although we may. More often than not, we see God's presence where he's been. We see his presence visibly in the lives of people who are impacted by his presence. Most of us would not be able to experience God's direct presence. I don't know that we could handle it. Even Moses couldn't handle it. One day, Moses was on a mountain and he said, God, show me. Your mercy. Show me your greatness. And God said, well, you're not going to be able to handle it, Moses, but I'll put you in the crevice between two rocks. And when I come by, I'll put my hand up so that you can't see me because if you saw me, you'd die. But after I pass you by, I'll remove my hand and you'll see my back. You'll see where I've been. Revival for it to be real is the visible moving of God. But the other part of revival that is so essential is that it changes the lives of the people involved. If we think we've had revival, but we can't see the visible presence of God, then we haven't had revival. If we think we've had revival and, and nobody's been changed, no life has been changed, nobody's, nobody's life has been challenged and confronted, we haven't had revival. And those are the two things, the visible moving of God and the visible impact upon people that I've been looking for. And I hope you've been looking for it. And I've been praying for it. It's something that we so desperately need in this church is a revival. Now, during this season of revival that began way back on February the 22nd, Ash Wednesday, and has continued up to this point and will continue through the beginning of May, on Sundays... We have designated the Sunday services as a furthering of the revival services. Every sermon that I'll preach comes from a passage where you find the concept of fire. Because fire, especially in the Old Testament, is symbolic of God's presence and God's visible movement. 
And so it is a fitting symbol for revival. Today's passage comes from 1 Kings 18. You have the nation of Israel and the nation of Judah. The, uh, the nation of Israel as a whole has already split up. They've divided. And you have the southern kingdom of Judah under King Asa. And you have the northern kingdom of Israel. And now uh, in this passage, we find them under the reign of King Ahab. He is the worst king they ever had. He has a wife named Jezebel. She is one of the worst people you'll ever read about because she convinced Ahab to move the nation away from God to the worship of pagan gods, to the worship of false ideas, to the worship of false visions and false dreams and false hopes. So many people today are worshiping false hopes, false dreams. They may not identify those false hopes and dreams as gods, but they are. They consume their time. They consume their thoughts. And they have become gods, whether we call them that or not. In fact, one of the great strategies, I believe, of Satan in our day is that gods, we no longer recognize as gods. We recognize them as something else. Dreams, that's a positive word. Visions, oh, that's a great word. Hopes. And yet they're gods, they're false gods. Because they consume our time, our thoughts, our feelings, our energies, when God needs to be the one who consumes our time and our thoughts and our feelings and our energies. I want you to look with me to 1 Kings chapter 18. We'll begin with verse 16. Ahab's, the king of northern, uh, the northern kingdom of, of uh, the northern nation of Israel says this, verse 16. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah, the prophet. When he saw Elijah, he said to him, is that you, you troubler of Israel? I've not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied. But you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and you followed the Baals. Baals were pagan gods. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah, another false god, who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. And Elijah went before the people and he said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. Now get this, but the people said nothing. That's one of the saddest phrases in this passage. The people said nothing. Then Elijah said to him, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left. But Baal has 450 prophets. So get two bulls for us. Let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull. I'll put it on the uh, put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. And then you call on the name of your God and I will call on the name of the Lord and the God who answers by fire. There it is. The God who answers by fire. He is God. Then all the people said, what you say is good. Oh, they finally said something. 
Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one of the bulls, prepare it first, since there are so many of you. Call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bull given them and they prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Baal, answer us, they shouted, but there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. There's nothing worse than a taunting preacher, don't you think? Shout louder, he said. Surely he is a God. Perhaps he is deep in thought. Or maybe he's busy. Or maybe he's traveling. Maybe he is sleeping and he must be awakened. So they shouted louder and they slashed themselves with swords and spears as was their custom until their blood flowed. Midday passed. They continued their frantic prophesying until the time of the evening sacrifice, but there was no response. No one answered and no one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, come here to me. They came to him and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. Elijah took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes of Israel, descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Your name shall be Israel. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. He dug a trench around it large enough to hold two seahs of seed. That'd be about 25 quarts of water. And he arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces, and laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Do it again, he said, and they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered, and they did it a third time. The water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. At the time of sacrifice, Elijah, the prophet, stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham... Isaac and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me so these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Verse 38, my favorite verse. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood the stones and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. 2,850 years ago, 2,850 years ago, Ahab was king in Israel, and he, along with his wife Jezebel, had moved the nation away from God. At their coaxing, the nation had moved away from God and was looking to other things. I say things, they would have called them gods, but they weren't gods, they were things. And under Ahab and Jezebel's leadership, they had moved their focus away from God and onto things that were destroying them. And for the most part, they didn't even realize it. And Elijah knew that the one thing that nation needed more than anything else was for the fire of God's presence to fall upon those people and to change that nation and change their lives and change their families. He knew it, but I believe he dreaded it. 
Because you see, Elijah knew what some of you know. I'm going to guess that most of us don't know this because revival has been so rare. It's such an exceptional experience in the lives of most Christians. Most Christians today have never really experienced a genuine revival. And so when we even think about it, it's an abstract concept that we have no idea what it feels like, what it looks like, what it sounds like. But Elijah knew. And Elijah knew that when revival comes, Elijah knew that when the fire of God's presence falls, there are some wonderful things that happen and there are some dreadful things that happen. But even though he knew that dreadful things would come as a result of God's fire, he still thought it was worth praying for. You see, it's dangerous to ask God to send a revival. I'll tell you what, in the, tw- in the almost 12 years I've been at this church, I, I think that the, this, perhaps the single most dangerous thing that we have asked God to do was send revival here. Dangerous because we don't really know what it is we're asking for. We know it's something we need. It's kind of like surgery. It's kind of like when you have something really wrong with you and the only possible resolution is major surgery. And so you want to be, you want whatever health condition it is to be resolved. And so you're willing to go to the surgery. And yet this surgery is is going to hurt so badly. It's going to require a long hospital stay and a long period of recovery. And and we, all we can think about is the, the, the good resolution that will come at the end of the recovery period. And we don't really think about all the hurt that's going to come. All the infection that have, will have to, have to come to the surface and be removed. And yet all of that is required for healing to be realized. All of that is required for true revival to come. When real revival comes, there will be some results that will feel really, really good. And there will be some results that are going to feel really, really bad. In this passage of Scripture, the nation of Israel needed more than anything else. They needed a fire from God. They needed a revival from God to fall. And there were some things that came about as a result of this this revival time in the life of Israel. And I want to share with you five, five things that came about in conjunction with this season of revival in Israel 2,850 years ago. And these same results we can pretty much expect if this season of revival that we are about right now is a true season of revival. If it is, and and, and keep in mind, what we're experiencing right now, it's too early to tell if it's real revival. It's too early to tell. We won't really know until down the road a piece and see if, if... This time that we've spent together praying, studying, reading, worshiping, preaching, responding. To see if it's all made a difference in anybody's life. We may get down to December of this year and look back and say, we didn't have revival. I hope that we'll be able to look back even then and say, man, did we ever have a revival? But I don't know yet. 
But if we do, then these five things, I believe, will take place. First of all, when the fire falls, decisions must be made, sides must be chosen. Decisions must be made, sides must be chosen. Elijah said, now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 450 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel and Elijah went before the people. And here's this, here's this penetrating question that he asked them. And I ask you and me this morning, how long will you sit there halted between two opinions? How long Will you stand between what God wants you to to do and be on one side and what your false hopes and ambitions want you to be on the other side? How long will you sit between those and wait and delay and procrastinate about making a decision for following God? How long will you sit there? That's basically what uh, Elijah was saying. He says, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, these false ambitions, if they turn out to be everything that you think they're going to be, follow them. But the people said nothing. You see, they wanted to stay there in between. They wanted to try to reap the benefits of all their false hopes, but yet still somehow uh, invoke the favor of God on them. And let me tell you, it's not possible to stay there. It's not possible to stay riding on the fence. When the fire falls, decisions must be made, sides must be chosen. I'm amazed at the response of these people. They said nothing. How long will you waver between two opinions, Elijah says? And the people just stared at him. What a contrast between these people in their lack of response to Elijah and the people of Joshua back in Joshua's day in Joshua 24. Joshua came to the people. They were were, uh, at the end of the conquest where they had moved into Canaan and they had conquered the land. And Joshua then said to these people, he he said, choose you, choose you this day. Whom you will serve, whether the gods of your forefathers on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It was a clear challenge. And what was what was their response then? Their response was this. Far be it from us. God forbid that we forsake the Lord, our God, to serve other gods. We will serve the Lord. That was their adamant response. What a difference between the people of Joshua's day and the people of Elijah's day. Elijah stands up and he says, you choose this day whom you will serve. Whether you're going to serve the Baals or the Asherahs or your false hopes and ambitions, or you're going to serve the Lord. And the people just stood there. And they said nothing. Some of you. Some of you, perhaps, during this season of revival, you've thought, well, you know, I'm so tired of this preacher talking about fire under the tower, igniting the fire. I'm so tired of this talk about revival. I don't really care about revival. I got one of these devotional books. I haven't opened it yet. 
I'm not going to make a decision. Not making a decision is making one. You say, well, you're exactly right. Not making a decision means that I'm going to stay right in the middle. No, not making a decision means that you side against the Lord. Because the Lord wants a positive affirmation of, of, of you submitting to what He wants to do in your life. So when the fire falls, decisions must be made, sides must be chosen. The second thing that happens when the fire falls is this. When the fire falls, people get stirred up. People get to moving. There's a lot of physical movement. There's a lot of racing in people's minds and hearts. I've been watching some of you. Uh, I haven't been stalking you. It's a good thing. But I've watched you. Some of you are experiencing this season of revival in a more serious way than others. For some of you, you're experiencing more of it because you have made yourself available to it more. I know people who who were here on Ash Wednesday, February the 22nd, during a short period of time, that all day of, uh, of continuous prayer we had, some of you took advantage of that. Some of you took advantage of it at home. I realize that. You didn't have to be here. But whether here or at home or at work or wherever you were, you took advantage of it. And not only that, you've taken the devotional book that other folks in our, fa- in our church family wrote, and you've been looking at them day by day, and you've been praying over what, what the Scriptures and those people said to you. You came to the revival where Reuben Smith preached and you didn't miss a single service or maybe you only missed one because it was so important to you that you hear what God had to say. And you've been here on Sundays unless there was just some major reason that you couldn't be. And you plan to be here for all the rest because you want to be available to, to hear what God says. You don't want to miss it. And as a result... So far, you you really have been experiencing the the presence, the heated fire presence of God. Others among us have experienced a a, a more impact in this season of revival because of a crisis in your lives. And this crisis has landed you on your face before God. You didn't ask for the crisis. Nobody in their right mind would. But nonetheless, the crisis has come and you are there. And then there are others who just hasn't been that important to them. If they're here, that's fine. If they're not, that's fine. If they catch a devotion, that's fine. If they don't, that's fine. And if that's my attitude, which too often it probably is, then I'm not going to experience the positive impact of revival that others might let me tell you, God wants to stir us up. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one of the bulls. Prepare it first. There are so many of you. Call on the name of your God. So they took the bull given them and they prepared it. And they began to cry out. People got stirred up. You see, when revival comes, when the fire falls, some people get stirred up to do evil. You see that not every stirring is a good stirring. Some people get stirred up to do evil. Some people get stirred up because of what God is doing, the positive impact of what God is doing. Are you stirred up? 
you know, we're not here yet, but my prayer, my prayer for one of the results of this revival season is that that God will develop such an atmosphere in this place when we meet together that people cannot wait to get here to see what God is going to do. We're not there yet. Some of you got up this morning, some of us got up this morning, and we thought, well, I've got to go to church again. Well, I've got to go to church. Well, we've got to go to church. I'm praying for the time when people get up an hour early because they said, I've got to get to church. I've got to get there early to find a seat. You're not having to worry about finding a seat today, are you? I'm praying for the day when people get here early to get a seat because they, they're coming to find out what God is going to do. When the fire falls, people get stirred up. Third, when the fire falls, sin is exposed. This is the part that's so hard. This is the part that's so, that, that is so terrible and dreadful. Because there's always sin in the camp. And when revival fires fall, whatever sin there is in the camp gets exposed. The weakness of our false ambitions, the bales and the asherahs in our life, they become exposed. These people fixed up their altar to Baal and they started crying out and they cried out all night and they cried out all day. And finally, getting on toward midday, Elijah starts making fun of them. He's a smart aleck prophet. Well, he must be sleeping, your God, or he must be busy, your God, or he must be traveling, your God, or he must be just off today. Maybe he didn't clock in today. Something's going on. He's not listening to you. Maybe you need to shout louder. He's got a hearing problem. And so they shouted louder, and just so they could impress Baal, they pulled out their old-timer pocket knives, and they started cutting each other. (laughs) Blood flying everywhere. It was a terrible scene. And they still didn't hear anything. And finally, uh, Elijah said, we've had enough of this stuff, man. We've had enough of this. And he got 12 stones and he repaired the broken down altar of God. And he told them, he said, I want you to bring some barrels of water and pour over this altar, pour over this altar, pour over this altar. Did it three times. And then Elijah with that altar soaking wet with water. No way it could catch on fire. He knelt before God and he says, now God... You see where we are here, and I pray that you would send fire down upon this altar so that people would know that you are God. And the Bible says that the fire fell from heaven and it consumed the wood in the altar. It sucked up all the water. And when that happened... All those 450 prophets of Baal, those bloody prophets of Baal, whose, whose voices were hoarse from hollering all night and half the day, those, those prophets of Baal who were worn out, they realized that everything they had worked for, every, everything that had consumed their thoughts, their energies, their money, their time, Just went down the drain. What they thought was so important. 
just lost all of its glitter, just lost all of its luster. Verse 40 says this. Then Elijah said to them, now listen to this. This is after the fire has fallen. Elijah says this, seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let one of them escape. So they seized them and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and he slew them there. You're talking about judgment for sin. You're talking about exposing sin and judgment for sin. Listen, when the fire falls, sin is exposed, dreadful things happen, people are hurt, people's lives are crushed, and, and, and people realize that the way of God is the only way to follow. Number four, when the fire falls, God is shown to be true. When revival comes... The truth about God is going to come to the surface. Verse 39, when all the people saw the fire, they fell on their faces and they said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Here's the the, the terrible part of that. For many of them, it was too late. You see, the time to decide for the Lord is before the fire falls, not after. And then fifth, when the fire falls, enemies rise up. You'd think that when uh, the fire of revival falls, sin is exposed and the enemies are quiet. And that is not the case. What happens is enemies are enraged. You see, people who are blinded by sin... I don't like to use this word, but people get blinded. We get blinded by sin, we become stupid. And we don't think logically. Chapter 19, verse 1. Now Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. You'd think Jezebel would wake up and repent. Verse 2, then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah. And here's what she said. So may the gods do to me and even more if I don't make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow at this time. And Elijah was afraid and he arose and he ran for his life. Long about last fall, people started coming to me. They started coming to me, not in a, conspiracy, in a conspiracy, but they started coming to me and they started saying, feel like we need a revival. Feel like we need a revival. You remember back when we fasted, back at what, eight or ten years ago, fire under the tower? I think we need another fire under the tower. I started hearing that in the fall. We didn't decide to do it until after the first of this year, and I'll tell you why. I didn't want to do it. You say, preacher, you didn't want revival in your church? Yeah, I wanted revival. (laughs) I'll tell you what, I'm getting to be an old man. I can't take the enemies like I used to. And I know, I know that if this is real revival, if the fire of the Lord will fall, and if sin is exposed and God is shown true, Enemies are going to rise up from outside and from inside. And boy, do we ever in those times need the grace of God. 
When the fire of God's presence falls, bringing the revival we need, you will have to decide. You will have to choose sides. Sin, whether it's yours or mine or anybody else's, will be exposed. God will be shown true. Enemies will rise up. And you say, man, Jimmy, you've discouraged me from wanting revival. Man, I don't know if I want this or not. You see, but, but, but we have to have the mindset of Elijah. You know what his mindset was? And he knew all of these things were coming. He knew it. He knew that Jezebel wasn't going to repent. He knew that Ahab probably wouldn't repent. He knew it. But he wanted the fire anyway. You see, revival is that wonderful. It's that wonderful that the benefits outweigh the dread. That the good effects outweigh those that are hurtful. And so I ask you again, do you want real revival in your life? We're about to have an invitation. Someone here needs to come and invite Christ into your life to be your Savior and your Lord. That's where a relationship with God starts. You can know about God. You can quote every scripture in the, in the, uh, the Old and New Testaments and still not know the Lord. Do you know the Lord? Have you invited Christ into your life? During this invitation, you'll have the opportunity to do that. Do you have a church home? God may be dealing with some of you. you. You know you've been saved, but you don't have a local church home, and God may be dealing with you to be a part of this church. But deeper than church membership, where is your relationship with God? How closely are you holding on to false dreams, false hope? Hope that is really no hope, that is taking you down a road to destruction. You see, as long as this invitation is going today, there's time to turn around before the fire falls. Don't wait until after the fire falls. There were prophets of Baal who, after the fire fell, they got on their faces and they said, You're right, Elijah, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And what did Elijah do? Slew every one of them. You say, isn't that bad of Elijah? Well, the judgment of God on our sin... Is one of the most awful sights we will ever see. Where are you? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, these days are so, so important. God, for people who need to be saved, these days are so important. For people who need to unite with the church family these days are so important for those of us who are saved who, who need to get our lives open fully open and available for God's spirit to move these days are so important for those of us with sin in our lives 
that has led us to pursue false hopes and ambitions and dreams these days are so important. God, I pray for your fire to fall. God, I pray that you would prepare us for the fallout of when the fire falls. In Jesus' name, amen.